and welcome to episode 59 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to agree to play a game that your friends say is awesome, but really, really doesn't appeal to you. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. In this episode, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Sherlock Holmes' consulting detective Jack the Ripper and West End Adventures, and King of Tokyo. Then we talk about some games that we love, even though they fall within categories of games that we tend to dislike or avoid. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word anomaly. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. One announcement real quick before we hop into the main episode. Uh, in less than three weeks, Dice Tower West registration is going to open. That is a convention in Las Vegas that I help run and is now formally partnered with the Dice Tower, which Ambie and I are part of. So obviously <laughs> I'm going to be talking about it because I'm excited and I've got my feet in all over the place with this one. But registration opens September 4th, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern and tickets are expected to go very quickly once they are on sale. So if you want to come play games with Ambie and I in Las Vegas with Tom and Sam and Z and Eric and Suzanne and Mandy and the whole gang, I think they're all coming. You guys should get tickets quickly because we want to see you there. Yay! Recently, I played Sherlock Holmes consulting detective Jack the Ripper and West End adventures that is quite a name name. (laughs) yeah it is i know i saw it in the show notes and i was like dang that's a lot of name (laughs) so this is a standalone expansion to sherlock holmes consulting detective and if you haven't heard of that it's a cooperative story type game where you're solving a mystery by reading different passages in a book so in sherlock holmes there's a directory and a map of locations and you can go anywhere to follow up on leads so like you can look up someone's name in the directory and then it tells you where to go in the book and in each case has a book and there's a section in the book for each location and it has like a paragraph or a couple paragraphs of text that tells you what happens when you go there and you get more information and more leads to follow up on and it's very open-ended once you think you have enough information to answer to solve the case, you stop and then you answer the questions in the back of the book and you get scored based on how much you answered and how few leads you followed compared to Sherlock Holmes, who is like, I think he cheats or something because he always gets it really bad. <laughs> I mean, he is Sherlock Holmes, but still. If it's Benedict Cumberbatch, then, I, I, then he gets a pass. Yeah. So the original Sherlock Holmes consulting detective has been reprinted as Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective Thames something. And I've played those original 10 cases. And the Jack the Ripper and West End Adventures is a standalone expansion. It has six West End Adventure cases that are from the original expansion, which was in uh, the 80s. And it also has new Jack the Ripper cases. There's four new cases, and they're like all com- combined together, and they're about Jack the Ripper. So I, I played the four Jack the Ripper cases, and... I played it a while ago, but I wanted to talk about it, wait until I finished to to talk about it. So with the Jack the Ripper cases, you don't solve anything until the last case because you can't actually stop the murders from happening. And it's based on actual events, so it's more gruesome than other cases because the other cases are fictional and it's less gruesome usually. But so I, I still enjoyed Jack the Ripper and it was interesting, but the conclusion was unsatisfying for us. I don't really remember what happened, but 
in my play notes, I had that we were trying to visit locations and we were trying to find a place and we couldn't find where they were because they weren't in the directory. So it was okay, but but unsatisfying. But I recently played Case 5, which is one of the West End adventures, and I had a lot of fun with that. So I played that two-player with Toby. It's a nice with fewer players because there's a lot of reading. So you're just reading out loud and passing it to the next player to read. And we had some tea, and we were saying we need a pipe, too. We don't have a pipe. But but it, it was really fun. We were able to solve the case, and I had a Sherlock-feeling moment when I found a lead based on some information that wasn't, like, super obvious. And then I, I got to tell Toby that it's elementary. And... <laughs> I can totally picture you doing that. <laughs> yeah, so, so the case five for the West End Adventures was really fun. And I'm hoping that, I haven't played cases six through 10 yet, but I'm hoping that they're also good because the the Jack the Ripper was a little unsatisfying for us. Well, we've talked about Mythos Tales on the podcast before, and Mythos Mm -hmm. Tales was originally a fan expansion to Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective that then got published on its own. Mm-hmm. I know you played through, did you play through all of Mythos Tales? Yes, I did. Okay, um, and I did as well. And you liked it more than I did, if I remember correctly. Yeah, or, well, okay. yeah, I was still disappointed in it too, but I think you were more disappointed. Yeah. Because I was probably expecting it to, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I it's I really, I wanted to like it, but I, I disliked it strongly. And again, mm-hmm. this is a caveat, because I had, I was playing with the, first edition that came out via Kickstarter and there have been subsequent editions of the game that have supposedly fixed a lot of the issues that I ran into. So that's not to say that the current version of Mythos Tales is bad, but the one I played had significant issues and Mm -hmm. I did not enjoy it. And what's, what sucks is I think I would like Sherlock Holmes or even these new ones, Mm -hmm. but I have been dissuaded from playing them because of oh, my yeah. experience with Mythos Tales. And I recognize they're made by different people. It's a different thing, even though they're like structurally similar. But I, I'm less inclined now to do Sherlock, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. So I played the original one. There, It was published by Istari. I'm not sure what year. But Wasn't that the had 70s, a lot of right with the original uh, game. Okay, maybe not. Okay, oh. <laughs> it's probably not that original printing that I played. But there was another reprint. But it had a lot of uh, typos in it because it was translated from French, and one of the cases was unsolvable because they had changed the answer without changing the clues or something like that. Oh. So that was really disappointing. But I think it it was republished recently by Asmodee. So this one, the Jack the Ripper and West End Adventures, is twenty seventeen, and I think. The other one is 2016 or something. And I'm hoping because this is a new reprint that like all of the typos are fixed. So far, we haven't found any typos with this one case. So I'm hopeful. <laughs> it's interesting because in a game like this, they sometimes utilize typos and mistakes as <laughs> clues. Like in, especially like yeah. when they have a newspaper that, you know, a fake newspaper oh, that mm-hmm. they've printed. Like in theory, a typo could be a clue. Or yes. it could just be a typo. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like when there are mistakes, then it makes, I think, the re- the rest of those clues it watered down a yeah. little bit, which is a bummer. Yeah. And it's so. also hard to translate that in different languages. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. If this, if it's created in one language, getting it into another and making it tra- like making the game experience also translate appropriately must be a mm-hmm. real beast to do. So 
uh, you game designers who are doing that, <laughs> more power to you. <laughs> All right, well, I'm also talking about a game that is a little bit older, which feels kind of odd since we're just post-Gen Con. <laughs> like, everybody else is going to be talking about all of the hot games that came out at Gen Con. And I am talking about a Richard Garfield game, and he had a very hot game at Gen Con, <laughs> Keyforge. But I'm not talking about Keyforge. I'm talking about King of Tokyo, which a lot of you have probably heard about and or played, but maybe some of you haven't. So King of Tokyo was published in 2011 by Yellow, and it was designed by Richard Garfield. Uh, King of Tokyo is kind of a King of the Hill style board game with a push your luck element. So all of the players take on a monster persona and have a little standee to represent their monster. And it can be monsters like King Kong or Mecha Bunny or a giant lizard that's like Godzilla. There's a whole bunch of them, especially with expansions. I was playing Space Penguin, <laughs> which was pretty funny. And on your turn, you roll six dice and then you have two re-rolls that you can use and the symbols on the dice will either give you energy that you can spend to buy upgrade cards victory points give you health back or and if you get specific sets of different symbols with some of the expansions it will also allow you to upgrade your monster to draw from your uh, you have a deck of cards that have special abilities unique to your monster and to get another token that will allow you to do either re-rolls or get extra energy or life. And those both come from expansions, but they're nice additions to the game. You then attack whatever monster is in Tokyo, or if there is no monster in Tokyo, you head into Tokyo, and then the monster in Tokyo is attacking all the other players, and all the other players are attacking the one monster in Tokyo. You eventually can hop out of Tokyo if someone else attacks you, and you're just trying to get to 20 victory points or be the last person standing. It's honestly a lot of fun still. It's funny because these games that I played a lot, you know, a number of years ago, I tend to not gravitate toward anymore because like a lot of people, I do tend to want to play the hot new games. But somebody was new to our game group and brought this out and re was really excited about playing it. And so I was like, yes, let's play King of Tokyo. <laughs> that sounds like fun. And it was. I'm going to actually include this in our thematic discussion later. Um, but yeah, I really, I do like King of Tokyo. I think this is a great game for people who maybe grew up playing Yahtzee and want a similar style game with just a little bit extra added on. But then when you add in those expansions, it actually makes it a little bit more gamery. There's a little bit more to it, a little more strategy. So even if you're an experienced gamer, if you haven't played King of Tokyo, maybe give it a chance. Uh, or if you haven't played it in a while, bust it out because I actually had a lot of fun with it. In our last episode, our thematic segment was honestly a little bit negative. And that's, while that is an important thing for us to do occasionally, it's not our favorite. So this week, we're talking about some games that we love that just happen to be in game genres that we're not very keen about. Uh, they might be genres that we typically stay away from entirely or ones that we just, when we see them, just a little bit off-putting for whatever reason. So let's talk about some games that we love, Ambi. <laughs> okay, so this is actually kind of hard for me because I like a lot of genres. <laughs> but one genre that I usually don't like that much is area control because I don't like attacking other um, areas and stuff and getting mine attacked. As, as we discussed in the last episode. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but there's a game that I really like called Adrenaline, 
which is basically area control, but there's a twist on it because the area is the other player. And you're actually directly attacking the other player. It's a first-person shooter-themed game. So it's like a video game, but it's a board game, and you're shooting other players and trying to get your shoot markers on them, and whoever has the most when they die gets more points. So like, so it incentivizes you to attack the same person over and over, whereas yeah. <laughs> in a lot of games, if you attack the same person over and over, you kind of seem like a jerk. But in this game, yeah. it makes sense. Like, it's how you score. Yeah. Yeah, and you want to kill them. But then, well, after someone dies, then they're worth less points. So you don't want to just kill the same person over and over because the other people are worth more points at that point. So it kind of... Oh, so it helps. It, it, it se- yeah. simultaneously gives you a dedicated target <laughs> at one point, but then it incentivizes yeah. you to it move. It changes it. Yeah. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it yeah. is... But it's really thematic. And I think what I like about it is that um, it's not all or nothing because if you get a shot on someone, you'll get some points. And it's also not terrible getting people to shoot you because the, the board is small and you get additional powers when you get shot and you get more adrenaline. So you're like more powerful and then you don't lose anything when you respawn, I think. Or you might lose a little bit, but it's really easy to get stuff back. So I, I really enjoy playing adrenaline. It's also very thematic. I like the theme, how the theme works with it. <laughs> That's really cool. For me, a genre of games that I have been pretty vocal about not liking is racing games. Uh, The most notable of which is Formula D or Formula Day in the original version. I hate that game. I think, (laughs) I I know that people love it, but like, it's so boring. Okay, but we're not talking about the ones we hate. We're talking about the ones we love. And I love Snowtails. And most recently, I've really gotten keen on Downforce by Restoration Games. I think they did something pretty cool with Downforce. Snowtails I like because it's not... Well, it's funny. I like dice, but I like that Snowtails isn't dice-based. I like that the way you move and steer your cart is all based on card play. I think it's very interesting and thematic. Although, what's funny is I almost always lose Snowtails like by a lot. Like I end up crashing my cart into the side of the thing. And when you crash, you your hand gets uh, muddled down with like bad cards. So you don't have as many options to steer going forward. So it is one of those games where like, if you're doing poorly, you're going to do worse. And then you're going to do worse and worse and worse. So you can't really catch up. But it's mm-hmm. still fun. And Downforce is great because while you bid on the cards, you aren't like... You don't have to be that car. You just own it. And so if it does well, you get some money, but you can bid on all the other cars. And so there is no singular thing that you have to focus on in Downforce, which is cool. Yeah. So despite my love for 18xx games, I don't really like bidding in auctions. And that happens a lot at the beginning of 18xx games. But yeah, actual auctions kind of stress me out and I never know how much to bid for something. But I played Modern Art last year, I think, and I really liked it. And modern art is all just bidding, doing different auctions on art. And that's the whole game. (laughs) You're just bidding on it in different ways. And I liked it. So (laughs) it's kind of weird. But I think maybe what part of what why I liked it is because you kind of know the maximum price of what the art could be. So there's there's some sort of knowledge of how much to bid there. Because normally I don't know like in Power Grid or something, I don't know how much to bid for something. But in modern art, you immediately, after the round ends, sell the art and get that money. So 
it's more, it's easier for me, I guess, to know how much it's going to be worth. I don't know. But, but yeah, I liked it. So I like bidding and auction games. I think two of my favorites, I'd be curious to know if you like. Do you Have you played uh, Stockpile? Oh, yes. Do you like Stockpile? Um, I liked it for a while and then got bored of it. Okay. <laughs> have you played with the expansion or just the base uh, game? Yeah, I've played with the expansion. Okay. And then the other one would be High Society. Have you played that one? I have one? not played that, no. That one, it's so simple, but it's a lot of fun, especially if you play with Z and the Murph Brothers and everybody <laughs> is singing 20,000 francs, 20,000 francs during the whole game. It makes a very light game much sillier and enjoyable. But it, honestly, the game is pretty nice, too. So if you want like a simple bidding game similar to modern art, modern art maybe check out High Society. And the art okay. on the new edition is really pretty. I also generally am not a huge fan of zombie games, uh, but I love Dead of Winter. And uh, Jesse over on Twitter and in our BGG guild, he posted in a couple different places, thinks the same way I do. Yeah, so he said on BGG, I don't like the post-apoc zombie genre, but Dead of Winter is solid. The story is what drives that game. It's a psychological drama. The zombies are really not important other than a mechanical threat. You could replace them with anything. But the story, the crossroads cards, the ongoing crises, they are so engrossing. It feels like a story about people, not zombies. I would agree 100%. That game doesn't feel like it's about the zombies, even though they are an ever-present threat. Uh, And I'm also, I did back Tiny Epic Zombies on Kickstarter, which is coming soon. And I am hopeful that I will like it too, only because I think gameplay wise, it will be reminiscent of a couple of the other Tiny Epic games that I really like. So the fact that it's zombies, I I went outside of my comfort zone and (laughs) I went ahead and backed it anyway in hopes that I will like it. So here's, here's hoping. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Okay, and the last category I could think of that I usually don't like is negotiation and, like, games with backstabbing, I guess. Well, okay, negotiation games because they usually have backstabbing (laughs) because I don't like backstabbing. So negotiation usually stresses me out because I'm like, how can I trust you? I I don't know if I can trust you to make this deal. But I talked about Sidereal Confluence a few episodes ago which is a negotiation game with resource uh, engine building too. But basically in the game, you're just tr- making trades with everyone and negotiating with everyone, but it tells you the conversion rate of a lot of the goods. And also all the negotiations are binding. So you can't backstab people and that's in the rules of the game. So that's why I like it because you can trust people. Once they say you're, they're going to make a deal, then that will happen. So I, I guess I like negotiation with people as long as there's no threat of backstabbing. (laughs) So I have, uh, as I mentioned in my recently played segment earlier, I think King of Tokyo actually falls into a category of games that I tend to not like, and that is games that involve player elimination. So Mm, I generally, and this was the case in a lot of older board games back in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, there were more player elimination style games. And I think that Mm -hmm. that is less common now. But in a game like King of Tokyo, often somebody isn't eliminated super early. I actually also, there's another one called Welcome to the Dungeon and simultaneously Mm -hmm. Welcome Back to the Dungeon that also has player elimination that I like. Although admittedly, I played that recently. And it was with all new people. 
And so they were all being very hesitant to do anything. So I was like, no, it's fine. Here we go. And I went into the dungeon once and got killed and went into the dungeon a second time and got killed. So then I was out of the game way earlier than anybody typically is because they were putting in all the strongest monsters to the dungeon Uh and not realizing Uh. that, like, they might have to go through it. And so they were it was it was very, very amusing because I was like, no, 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 like. I, as a person, I'm like, there's no way the nine is on the bottom of the deck. Nobody would have put the nine in first. Oh, wait, they did. So <laughs> it was amusing, um, though. Some other categories that ha- that I jo- don't like. Um, I don't generally enjoy abstract games that much, but I love Azul. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not always keen on games with multi-use cards, but I love Race for the Galaxy. And I don't typically like Westerns, but I really enjoy Flick 'em Up. When you mentioned abstracts, and I used to think that I don't like abstracts much, but I think every abstract I've played, I've enjoyed. I just don't seek them out. So so it's kind of weird because I like Azul. I like Patchwork is pretty abstract. Um, even when I played Go with someone, I liked it. I just don't like the like competitive scene of, of chess and Go, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't think of an abstract that I dislike. But I thought I didn't like abstract. So it's interesting, even some genres that you think you might not like, maybe you don't dislike them. <laughs> maybe that's the case for me. I think maybe I think in my head abstracts are boring. Yeah. And so then if they aren't, that's when I like them. Mm-hmm. But there was, oh, there was an abstract game that I think you and I played. Uh, it was one of the play to wins at Blitzcon. I think it was called Kulami. It, and it had marbles and wooden pieces and I thought I was going to hate it, and I didn't. And I'm going to – I'll look it up real quick to see if I have the name right. But I was pleasantly surprised by it. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. I think that happens every time I play an abstract game. I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it is. It's called Kulami. K-U-L-A-M-I. And it came out in 2011. But yeah, it was in the Play to Wins at BlitzCon this past year, and I really enjoyed it. I, I wonder, maybe I should pick it up. Oh gosh, I'm, say, I'm <laughs> saying I don't like abstract games, and then I want to buy an abstract. Well, let's go jump over to Twitter, where we got some more feedback from our followers over there. Jamie Maltman said he doesn't care for hidden role or hidden trader games most of the time, but Battlestar Galactica is one of his favorites. <laughs> I obviously agree that Battlestar Galactica is awesome. Uh, Meeple Lady chimed in and said she agrees with him there. And then um, Eric from What's Eric Playing also mentioned that he doesn't like social deduction typically, but his outliers were A Fake Artist Goes to New York, Insider, and Deception Murder in Hong Kong. Uh, I like all those games too. So good good call, Eric. <laughs> Board Game Cheerleader said that she doesn't typically like co-op games, but she really likes the non-communication hidden cards in The Grizzled. And I think that's interesting because co-op is a genre that I love and the grizzled mm-hmm. is probably lower down on my list. So that's interesting. Mm. I wonder if it fills a specific void there that doesn't work for me, but works for you. That's pretty cool. It's <laughs> interesting. I like the grizzled and I like co-op, so I'm no help. <laughs> I mean, I don't dislike <laughs> the grizzled. It's just not like if I'm going to play a co-op game, it's not one of the first ones I reach mm. for. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Jared Hunnefeld who said he doesn't typically care for old roll-and-write games, but he can't get enough of those Nightmare games. <laughs> and as a new fan of Nightmare, I agree, Jared. The Nightmare games are awesome. I have the board now. I want to get Nightmare 2 so much, because Nightmare 2, I think, is the one I'm going to enjoy the most. 
What else did we get over on Instagram? Yeah, so there are a bunch on Instagram too. Uh, Becca's Bites said, Stockpile. I'm not usually one for stock games, but it's a lightweight, unlike some other stock games, and there's a playfulness to the bidding, at least in our home. I like it two-player on the more difficult board side because the volatile nature makes it more press your luck than just stock. My husband loves stock games, and so he gets really excited to play one that I enjoy. That's cool. And that's so, kind yeah, of what I, I was saying cool. earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like Stockpile's fun, and I don't typically like stock games, but that yeah. one is great. It's I love it a lot. Yeah, and I think it's cool that... Uh, her husband likes stock games and then so there's a game that they both really like in that category that they can play together that's really cool cool. that's an interesting Mm -hmm. point like if if you like a genre and your friend doesn't i would imagine often there's something that you can find that kind of fills both voids or both people can enjoy were there any others over on instagram there are a few that had similar ones to what we said board game training wheel says downforce i don't usually enjoy sports games or sport adjacent games but i love downforce so in this one, it's all sports, not just racing. Um, I haven't then, played a lot of other games that are sports themed. Like I've never played the couple yeah. of baseball games that I know about. I've never played Blood Bowl. So I don't, uh-huh. I don't think, racing games might be the only sports games I've played. I think. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I've played Baseball Highlights and I like that. But yeah, I feel like there aren't that many or they the, the theme usually doesn't attract me with the sports. <laughs> And Meeple Overboard said, Azul is an abstract game that I really enjoy. Same with Topiary, though that one hits fewer of the abstract game general definitions. They're both great time games, but usually not my category. So another person with abstract... (laughs) It seems like there's a lot of genres that people tend to dislike more. Like, Mm -hmm. it's interesting that no one mentioned space. At least not that I saw. And oh, yeah, that's true. There are a lot of space games, including a lot of bad space games. But I think there are enough good ones that most people wouldn't think of that genre as something they dislike because there's a yeah. lot of really awesome ones. Um, yeah. But I'm, a lot of people did mention zombies. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is in the same kind of boat. So yeah. why, so that's interesting. why are zombies so, di- do- so dividing and like space isn't? Do you think it's... I don't know. Because really, they're both they're both sci-fi, truthfully. Yeah. Like, but maybe zombies is just more specific because space is very general. Yeah, so and I guess space, there can be a lot of different space doesn't have. Yeah, space doesn't have to be sci-fi. Space can be based in that's true. reality. Like a game like Terraforming Mars is theoretically set in reality. Like we're not mm-hmm. there yet, but getting there seems possible. Yeah. Whereas a zombie apocalypse. It seems less likely to happen. So uh, why, what is it about these games that make them stand out for us or for the, for the other people that chimed in about this topic? So I think with all of them, they were exceptions to the reason that we don't like that category. Like the reason I don't like area control is because I don't like getting beat up on and not getting anything for my work. But then adrenaline fixes that because it's not bad to get beat up on and you get partial credit. <laughs> oh gosh, now it sounds like a test. But but yeah, so there's there's like little tweaks in the game that make it feel a little different than you're used to in that genre. That's true. That like that would apply to a couple of the ones I mentioned mm-hmm. as well. Basically the 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 lesson here is if you don't like a genre, that shouldn't be a reason to immediately discount a game. Yeah, because a game is more than just the genre. There's a lot of stuff to a game. Well, and this is this is an interesting defense in favor of what uh, everyone likes to refer to as the hype train. Often, 
I mean, there are games that get overhyped. That's definitely a mm-hmm. thing. It definitely exists. But usually, if a lot of people are talking about a game and they're saying, oh my gosh, this game is awesome. I love it so much. There's often a reason for that. And that is sometimes the fact that the game is just that good. So for instance, for me, I've heard a lot of good things about Western Legends. I don't like Western games, so I am not really that keen to play it. But a lot of people say they love it. So maybe at some point I'll give it a try. This is not a note to my game group to bring it to game night (laughs) for the record. But yeah, like stuff like that. I think everybody should maybe step outside of their comfort zone occasionally. And you may find something that you really love that you never would have tried otherwise. And this applies to life too. (laughs) Life lessons from board game blitz. (laughs) The more you know. For this week's etymology segment, since we were looking at games that don't quite fit into our usual tastes, I'm going to look at the origins of the word anomaly. The English noun anomaly dates back to the 1570s when it meant unevenness. In the 1660s, its definition shifted to mean deviation from the common rule. And in 1722, it then settled to be known as something abnormal or irregular. The word can be traced back to the Latin word anomalia, which came from the Greek anomalia, which meant inequality, and the Greek abstract noun anomalos, which meant uneven or irregular. The roots of the word can be broken down further, an, which means not, and homolos, meaning even. If we only stick to what we know, we may be missing out on some new and wonderful experiences that are hiding in the anomalies in our life. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Make sure you head over to Kickstarter right now because Run, Fight, or Die Reloaded is going to be wrapping up their campaign soon, and this is a zombie game that you don't want to miss out on. Gray Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. Enjoying the show? There are two easy things you can do to show us some love. The first is to head to iTunes or your podcast provider of choice and rate and review the show. Five-star reviews help increase the visibility of our show so other people can find it more easily. Second is to become a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you talk to us and other Blitzketeers directly. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, what game am I wanting to play? Hey, I just saw you, and this is crazy, but Blitz said try stuff, so play it maybe. Bye, everyone! For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access... For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes in our private Slack channel, which lets you talk to us and other Blitz <laughs> That word is hard to say. It Blitz is. Okay. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes. Unedited. Sorry. Sorry. I know the whole <laughs> sentence is awkward. Boom chicka boom chicka alliteration time. I'm going to come up with a new song each time. It's alliteration time. <laughs> Woo!
All right, guys. Last week, we asked you to re-theme a nautical legacy game for aquatic animals that are looking for something. So what game was that, Ambi? That was Searching Seals Seafall. <laughs> I love that I always make you say the hard part. All right. So this week, we want you to re-theme a stained glass window building game for an old wise person wearing baggy clothes. Also, if you're enjoying these alliterations, Chip Beauvais, who made them, has a Twitter account called A Little Alliteration. It's at Lit Alliteration. He's doing a lot more of them on that Twitter account that you can solve. Yeah, and Chip has been coming up with a couple of other novelty accounts recently, uh, including at Magic Word Square. I'm not quite sure how it works, but glancing at it. <laughs> But it looks like, so it's a, a set of five words that read the same horizontally or vertically. And that's interesting puzzle building type stuff. So yeah, go check out Chip's stuff because he's doing some really neat stuff over on Twitter. 